Today is Tuesday, July 5th, 2016, and you're listening to Episode 8, Mentorship on InfoTrack. Hey everybody, welcome back to InfoTrack. This is John and I'm back with Derek and Mike. Uh, we have some news topics to go over this week. First thing in the news, Microsoft is paying out for all of these uh, forced Windows 10 upgrades. If you have Windows 7, you've probably seen Microsoft harassing you for a Windows 10 upgrade. And in some cases, it sounds like they actually uh, run it even without your consent. There was a, um, a business owner of a travel agency that was put out of business for a few days for one of these upgrades that was forced on her machine. Microsoft got taken to small claims court and is paying out 10 grand. So it looks like this might be the, the start of quite a few of these. Hopefully Microsoft will turn these off soon. Mike, what, have, you, uh, have you seen anything like this? Do you, do you know anybody that's had one of these upgrades go without, their, uh, without them okaying it? No, because most of the people I know use Macs because they're reasonable and they don't like to <laughs> deal with stuff like this. Uh, just joking, a little jab, John. But uh, <laughs> no, I think it's you know I think it's interesting that Microsoft just kind of paid out. I mean, it makes sense from a financial perspective. It could cost a ton, to, you know, to counter that lawsuit and then potentially sue back to to win back you know their attorney fees or whatever. It's a long, complicated process, but. I think it's interesting that they're sort of setting a precedent around, you know, giving people money at this point. So I think it's like only going to open a floodgate to everybody trying to get paid now with a sob story about, you know, their computer being broken. And, you know, the the one thing the article doesn't say is like what she had to do to prove that she actually had a hardship other than just a bunch of attempts to contact Microsoft. Like, I I wonder what it is that they made her, you know, sort of show as, as proof that she had an incident. Yeah. It'd be interesting to know. I know, um, uh, this is a California-based business, and they went to small claims court. I think now the uh, the max in small claims court in California is 10k. So she maxed it out for that, rather than going to, you know, an actual superior court. Derek, how about you? Do you have uh, do you run uh, any Windows operating system, or are you on Mac as well? Only in my VM. Um, yeah. You know, I'm actually not sure. I kind of really believe what really happened. I mean, you know, yeah, the thing can be annoying, and it prompts you all the time, and all that stuff, but I mean, I, I can't see Microsoft actually saying, well, you know, we gave up. We're going to enforce this anyway and, and deal with these repercussions. So, I, you know, without knowing the whole story, I'm kind of putting my two cents in on. Maybe it was a layer eight issue, you know, didn't quite read the screen and hit, you know, restart with a, applied updates. And next thing you know, it maybe didn't work so well with the older machine or something. So, you know, I don't know. This is the first one I've heard about, and it seems like, for Microsoft just to pay it out and be done with it out of the hair, then it's probably worth it in their opinion. So, yeah, I've heard a few rumors from other sources about about these uh, these uninitiated updates um, from like Windows Seven to Windows Ten. Um, I've uh, I've seen I've seen a few things written and people are complaining about it, and um, I can't specifically remember where it is uh, where I saw that. Um, I think I heard it on one of the other podcasts I listened to, but. Uh, um, there are ways to turn it off. I think it's only on certain editions of Windows. They're not they're not doing this on like professional or or uh, enterprise editions or anything like that. But there's certain ways to turn yeah, it off. I it's know, coming uh, though. Yeah, yeah. Uh, there's a uh, there's an app written by Steve Gibson called Never Ten. Uh, I'll put a link in the show notes to it that that turns it off if anybody's interested in doing that. Um, also turns off the notifications to ask you to upgrade all the time too. Next thing up here. Um, Google is uh, 
Google's building an internet, internet speed test. Uh, I know a lot of people like to use uh, websites like Ookla or speedtest.net, which I think that's also Ookla, um, for doing like internet speed test. I know my customers just love to do it and question whether or not everything's working correctly, you know, based on these speed tests that run over the internet. But Google's now building their own so that when you search for an internet speed test in, uh, in a Google, uh, on Google, uh, they'll suggest their own now rather than, uh, you know, sort of the top hitters that they would have in the past. Uh, how about you, Derek? Have, have, have you had that issue with uh, with people using speed tests all the time to, uh, you know, to try and perform into test networks that you build and, you know, try and troubleshoot it for you? Story of my life, man. Put, <laughs> you put, put a wireless network in, they expect it to work at like, you know, 450 megs, and they complain they only get 10 megs in the internet. It's like, yeah, well, your pipe's only 10 megs, so what do you expect? Um, <laughs> yeah, this is kind of interesting, though. I mean, I wonder what the reasoning is. I mean, there's so many other test sites out there. Um, I'm almost wondering if they're kind of doing this to test speeds to certain areas to measure maybe latency, kind of cache performance, look at doing, you know, kind of content prepositioning, things like that. So um, it just seems kind of random for them to insert this thing without some other reason behind it. Um, so I guess we'll see what, what plays out. Yeah, I think it's I think it's interesting, too. Like uh, if you go to fast.com, that's actually a speed test powered by Netflix. And it only does a, a unidirectional test, so it's only download, right? No upload. And I think it's more about data gathering than anything else, right? We can kind of see who's using the service. We can present ads. So I'm sure there's a ton of other motives for Google just uh, beyond, you know, being good Samaritans and trying to show people <laughs> how fast their connections are. The other thing is, I mean, it's kind of obvious in areas as they start to expand Google Fiber, is that if people are running tests on subnets that aren't theirs from an origin perspective, they can you know easily present them offers to switch to Google Fiber and ultimately start garnering some of their data that they haven't had access to in the past with uh, people being on other carriers. Oh, that's a good point, yeah. yeah over I, the uh, Google Fiber, they're going to run over wireless, if I recall correctly. Yeah, Google, Google Fiberless. I, that's not the name, but, I mean, it sounds perfect, right? Um the uh, yeah, they're they're partnering with a company called M Lab or Measurement Lab that, like you said, Mike also does data gathering on this kind of uh, this kind of thing, and it looks like that's probably one of their motives um, since it was kind of announced up front anyway. But it does make sense. I mean, it's it's a service that you can advertise. It's not very expensive to run. It seems like, especially for Google, you know, having the the, the pipes and the infrastructure that they have, but. Um, but it's definitely it's definitely interesting that they're going into this uh, going into this area of free services. Next up here is um, next up here is an announcement by Gardner, uh, saying that all of the curmudgeons that have no cloud policies for their networks will soon, uh, in the next four years by 2020, have uh, what they call cloud only policies with no uh, no legacy infrastructure, as I guess we would call it. Um, what was funny was in in the article where I read this about Gardner, their um, their suggestions to uh, you can find the article in the show notes. But uh, Gardner suggests that uh, they suggest that the common opinion by twenty twenty will be typical cloud only policies for enterprises. But in the notes underneath, they also suggest that CIOs start embracing cloud only policies because they think that's going to be the future. It kind of sounds like a, a self fulfilling prophecy. Mike, what do you think? 
Well, I thought the article was interesting because it kind of says a couple of things, right? It says that we'll have cloud policies everywhere, but it doesn't really define what cloud is, right? It starts to talk about hybrid cloud and, and mentions public cloud in one or two positions in the article and as far as quotes are concerned. But I think, you know, people kind of look at like, oh, we have a no cloud policy. That really probably means a no public cloud policy. And looking at what really defines cloud for a lot of people, it's going to be different, right? So I think Gardner's sort of generalization of like, oh, this, there's not going to be any no cloud policies. There's not going to probably be any no public cloud policies. I think most people, whether they realize it or not, are delivering a cloud today to their user environment. Um, it's probably a private cloud, but they're doing it in some way, shape, or form, regardless of whether that's a ticket-based you know, ordering platform for infrastructure or there's actually self-service on top of their infrastructure that they're running from their private data centers. So, I mean, I, I think it's kind of a you know common sense thing that everybody's going that way. I think that they just kind of are classifying it and making it seem like, oh, this is some future thing because they're really talking about public cloud more than anything else. Derek, what do you think? Yeah, they're trying to put this, you know, kind of general policy on the whole thing. Um, you know, it's kind of like how many times can we say cloud, whether it's public or private, you know, who's doing what. Um, yeah, it's just, uh, it's interesting, right? Cause you know, I don't think there's going to be ever a off-prem type solution. There's always going to be you know, some form of cloud, right? Whether it's you know, like, like Mike was saying, like a HR app or, you know, certain applications, but I don't think it's all going to be all or nothing, right? There's always going to be that, that mix involved. Yeah. I found the, I found the quote from, uh, that came from Gardner and it, um, one of the things that they recommend for CIOs is assume that enterprises will increasingly, increasingly accept cloud usage. So adapt your product and strategy, strategies to this assumption. Kind of saying like, well, assume that everybody's going to go this way, so go this way. And we're telling you everybody's probably going to go this way. Sounds like a self-fulfilling prophecy to me. All right, so our topic today is mentorship. And this is this is one of the topics that's kind of near and dear to my heart. I've had uh, I've had a number of mentors for in my IT engineering career uh, over the past several years, and they've made a they've definitely made a giant impact in in my career and in my life. And and um, a great deal of what I know, I you know I I attribute to the people that I learned it from and their their ability to be patient and um, you know and explain things in a way that uh, that makes it easy to understand. So let's go ahead and uh, let's go ahead and jump into the topic, Mike. What what do you think about mentoring for IT engineers, and why do you think it's important for us? Well, I mean, I think anybody's personal development really is, you know, guided by someone else's own experience, whether they realize it or not, right? If they're looking at personal opinion or something that they learned in a, you know, in a university, somebody wrote that and somebody set forth a guideline on how they should sort of progress in their career. And I think, you know, there's no better way to really get that direction than one-on-one -on -one from an individual who has, you know, sort of accomplished the things that you're looking to accomplish personally and professionally. Uh, and I think, you know, IT is such a broad area of, you know, sort of knowledge that it's it was really a, a great thing when you can find someone that's willing to spend time with you and sort of help you avoid pitfalls and you know, push you toward the information that is really going to help you versus you having to sort it out on your own instead of spending the time really garnering the knowledge that you're looking for, you know, with the little time you have to study and, and sort of do personal development on your own time, which is where that falls for a lot of us. Derek, how about you? Have you had, uh, 
um, have you had the opportunity to to mentor network engineers in uh, in your career? And have you have you had mentors yourself? And and what do you think is important about about mentorship in the uh, in the engineering world? Yeah, this is something that's definitely you know close to myself uh, from my own personal experience. Um, <clears throat> I was actually very fortunate. Like my first kind of real networking job, so to speak. Um, I was very fortunate to have somebody working there who was a contractor, you know, long time, 20 plus years in the industry. And um, he kind of took me under the, under his wing at my first gig and really kind of taught me, you know, things you would never learn in a book, you know, kind of how the business side works, how to talk to people, you know, all these soft skills that became super critical for me down the road in my career. So um, there's definitely, you know, I, I would not be where I am without those mentors I've had over the years. So always try to try to give it back um you know internally you know at our work now always try to pick a couple people and you know work with them um understand what their personal goals are how can i help them you know whether it's certification type questions to work with them on that or you know they just want to sit down and kind of talk over things you know i'm always trying to kind of give back to that so to me it's it's very important um i would say it's probably one of the most important things for anybody in it whether they realize it or not, um, you know, even outside of IT, right? You know, I think mentorship, whether it's even a family member or, you know, some random person you meet, they can have a huge impact on your life over the years and, you know, may not even know it. So, uh, yeah, very, very important in my opinion to this industry, especially. Yeah. So one of the things that I've found, you know, I've, I've obviously been mentored by people in the past and, um, and I've, you know, I'm, I'm currently, there's, there's certain people that every once in a while I'll mentor and, and, um, so I engage in that every so often, but I found it sometimes difficult, uh, I, I guess just challenging to, to choose who, who to mentor. I guess when, when you're being mentored by somebody, it usually isn't initiated by you, right? It's usually you going out on a job with, you know, somebody who's a lead engineer or something like that. And, and you end up learning a lot from them and, and you're able to uh to gain a lot of knowledge while probably also helping them do some of the some of the legwork of whatever uh kind of project they're doing at the time but it might not seem obvious but when you when you actually take the time to mentor somebody it definitely takes you you're usually doing it on the job right and it uh it usually ends up making it take longer to get the job done so you sort of, when you decide to do that, you sort of have to commit to the idea that you're going to do this in an unefficient way. Does that make sense? Do you guys feel the same way about that? Yeah, I mean, you definitely have to give some of your own personal time. And if, if it's happening while you're working on a project, if you're mentoring someone on a particular technology, the project's certainly going to run less efficiently when you have to stop to explain yourself or let somebody else drive when you know you could be doing it much more efficiently than they could. So I, I definitely agree with that. Yeah. It's also part of that too is, you know, one of the things that I've learned is sometimes when you get into situations like that, you know, maybe part of the learning curve is to kind of let them stumble a bit, right? You know, whether it's planned or unplanned, um, because that can definitely be another kind of tool, um, from a learning perspective. Um, at least for me, I've kind of had that happen to me and, and kind of done it back and, um, you know, things like that can definitely take a little bit longer, but in the end, that person usually, usually ends up learning much more significantly than they would if they hadn't. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely agree. It, um, it can make things inefficient. And if, and if you're really just trying to get things done because you're slammed with work, it, it's very difficult a lot of the time to, to set aside the time to let them 
take on a task that they haven't done before that you're teaching them how to do. They're definitely going to do it slower and, and, and probably not at, you know, on the first time to the specifications of how you would want it done, especially if it's like for a customer or for your own company or something like that. You'll have to go back and revisit some of the work that they've done. But letting them, letting like you said, letting them you know, sort of trip and fall and, and make some mistakes, Derek, I think is absolutely necessary to the whole mentorship process. It's something that you have to do in order to learn. But all this, all this being said, I was, you know, the point I wanted to bring up was if you're a mentor, choosing who to actually sort of take under your wing and work with, typically the people that, uh, that I'll try and work with are the people that really love the technology, but are, are, you know, sort of green and don't really know that much about it. To me, it's, I've always thought that it's, it's more important to have a love for technology than it is to just have a lot of knowledge about it, you know, to start with having a love for it makes you want to learn it. Whereas if you, you know, if you don't really like it and it's a nine to five job for you, then, then you don't really want to learn anymore. You know, if you're, if, if you're happy with where your career is and there's not some, you know, pay increase that you're going to get for some increased skill set, then, um, then there isn't really the initiative there to learn. But somebody who loves technology and, you know, likes to learn about it, loves to talk about it and, and learn how to do new things is always driven to to be mentored by somebody and to learn new things, learn something new, even if it's not necessarily going to benefit his career immediately. What do you think, Mike? How do you, when you're thinking about mentoring somebody, what kind of attributes do you usually look in somebody that you're going to take the time to work with? Yeah, I mean, I think sometimes it's it's a choice, right? It really depends on how the relationship evolves. I mean, if I have a choice about who I'm going to mentor, um, it's always going to be somebody who really is, you know, hungry to learn something. And, you know, I feel like is actually trying to apply it to them being better and, you know, ultimately being a better contributor to the team or whatever, you know, sort of my relationship basis is for that person. But I think sometimes you get into situations, depending on the culture of your company, where you might be assigned you know, sort of a, a mentor-mentee relationship where, if that's a word, I'm not sure if mentee is a relation. Is a I'm going to look it up right now. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what the word is either. I couldn't think of it earlier. So just because I like the word and because, uh, you know, it sounds better, I'm going to call him my protege. So the mentor-protege relationship <laughs> uh, can sometimes be assigned is really what I'm getting at. And, you know, I think it's a good thing in a lot of ways when someone – more junior is assigned a, a specific individual and that that relationship is sort of established verbally or you know formally in writing depending on how the company handles it so that everybody kind of knows that it's okay to ask this person questions they're my mentor and you know the mentor really feels like they've got to spend time because it's part of their responsibility and their job i think it, it helps on both sides to sort of grow the individuals because they take time to actually you know sort of make sure that the things that they're telling a person are beneficial to them. And it's not just, you know, the relationship's not a complaining sort of, you know, camaraderie type relationship. It, it actually is one of giving direction. And, you know, I think it as a mentor, a lot of times when that relationship is, is sort of formalized or established between both parties, it, it makes us feel like, Hey, I've really got to be careful about what I say to this individual because I'm shaping them. Right. And that, that's, yeah. a, that's an important thing to be cognizant of is that, you don't want to instill your bad habits in somebody when you're acting as their mentor. Um, and whether you see it that way or not, you know, anytime you're a more senior individual working in technology and, you know, sort of working with a junior engineer or a junior person who's trying to learn, they're oftentimes going to take on your, you know, 
your stance about something or your personal preference about something just because they they respect you and they're they're trying to sort of model themselves after you so when you really kind of be are conscious of the fact that you're you're sort of contributing to that individual's future it, it kind of helps you to make good decisions about what you give them and what you don't um, from the standpoint of your opinion that's a good point Derek so what um what kind of benefits can you get by mentoring somebody do you think um, I mean there's definitely benefits for the protege as we'll call uh, as we'll call you know the person being mentored but you know I, I think there's also so, you know some benefits as for you being the mentor that you know that you get for that you get for doing it what do you what do you think yeah I totally agree um, it's almost kind of like you you pass this you know individual you know uh, you know, invisible threshold, if you will, right? To where you're now kind of considered this expert person. You can be a mentor. Um, you know, one of the benefits I, I think is it really keeps you up to date. You know, it kind of forces you to be accurate. You can't really just, you know, BS your way through it. You know, obviously, if you're trying to train somebody and shape them right and help them in their career. Um, so you want to be very, you know, kind of correct. You can be very accurate. Um, you know, you really have to know what you're talking about. So it kind of almost vets you to some extent as a, you know, quote unquote seasoned veteran or, you know, industry expert, if you will. So, um, it almost kind of lets you start giving back to the community, you know, to some extent versus always just kind of consuming, you know, like if you think like a, like a web forum, right. You know, where years ago they were very, very kind of one-sided where, Everyone would ask a bunch of questions, but only like one or two guys would ever answer the questions. Well, now you can be that one or two guys actually answering the questions, right? So it's kind of like this self-fulfilling, you know, type of, you know, relationship, if you will. So, um, yeah, I think there's there's definitely that kind of, you know, you know, even like just the, the happiness you get of actually watching someone, you know, going to pass certification tests that you help them study for, things like that. So it's kind of like a almost like a parent-child type relationship in some weird way. <laughs> yeah, I really like the point of um, not being able to BS your way through it. You know, if, if you have to explain a technology to somebody, you have to be able to verbalize it and say it in a way that makes sense, that at least makes sense to you. And hopefully you know it well enough to, to be able to simplify it and say it in a way that makes sense to somebody else that's not inside your head, right? And in order to do that, you have to be confident that you actually know how the technology works. It all has to make sense in your head. And if there's, you know, missing pieces of the puzzle there that are significant, you're going to start talking your way through it. Like I I remember last week um, I was trying to explain PKI to somebody and I realized I missed a piece that uh, a, a piece of sort of the. Um, the flow of how of how the PKI system works, and I and I had to just stop right there and tell him, you know, I, I can't remember this, and like I can't move on and tell you how this works because there's this piece I can't remember and it doesn't make sense in my head right now. Um, but you know, doing things like that keeps you you know keeps you sharp in that way, and I I think that's a really good point. It definitely makes a lot of sense, um, Mike. What do you think? You know, beyond the obvious, what are the benefits of being mentored by somebody versus just cracking open a book and trying to read, you know, reading how a technology works and trying to understand it yourself? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, I don't know what's obvious to me and obvious to you. So I'll just state some probably obvious stuff. Um, you know, one is that you don't waste time on things that you shouldn't. Right. You kind of steer away from like, hey, 
I know that you kind of may think that this fits with what we're doing or what you're trying to ultimately become, but maybe this technology is better than this and here's why. And you don't have to go do that research, right? To sort of disqualify something that may help me like probably not a lot of people clamoring to get Citrix certifications these days. Um, you know, if I'm just coming into it, Citrix might seem like great and shiny and new, but really VMware is, you know, doing great things in app virtualization and other areas. And since everybody has it as their hypervisor, like I'm going to probably get more bang for my buck doing, you know, those types of certifications with VMware versus doing them with Citrix these days. Um, you know, no knock on Citrix, just kind of the state of things. But if I wasn't in the industry, I wouldn't know that. Um, the other thing is that, you know, I think Derek mentioned earlier some of the soft skills that you get from mentors and, you know, kind of the the non-technology related things that, and how they sort of couple into the technology that we work on, how to sort of approach, you know, an internal pitch around how do I get something funded that I'm trying to accomplish from a technology perspective or how to, you know, I make sense of really, you know, how is this going to help the business? Um, those types of things you really can't get from a textbook. Uh, and a lot of times you can't get them from just people outside of the area you're functioning in because sometimes they're industry specific or business specific. Uh, so just having somebody that's willing to kind of walk you through what potentially matters and what doesn't is a huge thing. Very cool. So Derek, other than just sort of the one-on-one mentorship that, that we've sort of been talking about up until now where you have the protege and the mentor, what uh, what other types of mentorship are there out there? You know, what other types of activities can you engage in to either sort of be mentored or, or mentor the people around you, you know, to keep yourself sharp or to just share the knowledge that you have about a certain topic? Sure. So there's a couple different ways I've done it over the years. Um, you know, I would say forums actually were a good one for me, um, you know, where you can kind of reach a larger group of people. So it wasn't so much a, a one-on-one thing. It was, like I said, kind of being those one or two guys that would kind of go through, help answer questions, take kind of private messages offline, um, things like that. Um, larger group settings work pretty good too, like, you know, lunch and learns, um, whiteboard sessions. So, you know, I was recently, I would say over the last few years, I've started to try to do more uh, like user group settings, right, where I'm the one presenting to a group of people. Um, I think that's a pretty cool way to do some form of mentorship. Um, and then way back in the day when I had a lot more time on my hands um, mentoring some of the junior engineers, like going for CCNA, CCMP level stuff, I would actually write them like test scenarios, right? And I would do like a question of the week and I'd write this crazy scenario with a lab guide and like, you know, GNS files. And I sent it to all the engineers and I would say, all right, the first one that gets it right, you know, gets to configure the next core switch for the project or whatever, right? Stuff like that. So I think there's a lot of different cool ways you can do it. Um, and I think that's kind of the fun part, right, is you can be as creative as you want. And as long as your protege um, is, you know, down to learn, then they're going to kind of suck it up however they can. I love how we just have to say, like, we have to really make protege, the word protege stand out every time. And, every, and we all look at Mike every time it happens. <laughs> You're totally welcome. <laughs> so, Mike, what kind of tips do you have for somebody that's either mentoring somebody or looking to, to mentor somebody under them? What kind of tips would you have for somebody that hasn't done it before and maybe doesn't know sort of the dynamics of how it works? Yeah, I mean, I, I guess a couple of things. Um, you know, first off, 
you're there to kind of teach them, right? So don't be a jerk and don't be arrogant about the things that they ask you. Um, they're going to ask you dumb questions. Uh, and, you know, regardless of how trivial you may think the question is or, you know, not warrant a response, if you're really trying to invest in that individual and be there for them, you really need to sort of humble yourself and, you know, and take them through a whole process that you may understand really well and you may think is really basic, but in their mind could be really complicated, right? And the other thing sort of surrounding that is just got to be patient because you might get the same question over and over again if it doesn't stick the first time. Um, and that doesn't mean necessarily that the person's not getting it. It's just that maybe they've got a lot that they're overwhelmed with, especially if they're trying to learn a bunch of things at the same time. Um, you really have to sort of, you know, be patient with them so that you don't just alienate them from the relationship. Um, and, the, you know, the third point is, is kind of like you've got to let them kind of learn on their own and let them make mistakes. Like you can't jump in and, and do it for them. If you're teaching them a technology, I think that's a, a pitfall that a lot of us, when we start teaching other junior engineers or start trying to show people how to do things, it's like we have a, you know, all have a tendency to just want to do it ourselves. And you got to let them sort of fumble through it, point out the things that they could have done differently. Um, but ultimately, it's a learning process for them, not for you. Uh, so, you know, keep that in mind when you're kind of going through things with them for the first time. Cool. And Derek, what kind of tips do you have for somebody who's being mentored by somebody else? You know, um, I think that's, like I said earlier, that's kind of something that uh, that a lot of us just fall into. It's not something we choose to do uh, most of the time. But, um, you know, when you find yourself in this position, what kind of tips do you have for that person? For the protege? The protege. Yeah. So I would say the f most important thing is to ask questions, ask more questions, and then ask even more questions, right? Um, I think that's a really huge way that people kind of learn and stick in with information. Um, for me personally, one thing that I found that helped me a lot when I was being mentored is I took like a notebook with me everywhere I went and actually hand wrote notes and tips and things like that. Um, you know, it just seemed to kind of help solidify some of the concepts and things like that. Um, you know, don't be afraid to, you know, assume you're going to get it right the first time because um, most likely you're not. I mean, very few people do, you know, pick things up, right? So it kind of goes back to that, you know, you're probably going to ask the same question a couple different times, a couple different ways, and, you know, that that's okay, right? Um, you know, don't be afraid to kind of talk with your mentor, right? If you have this, you know, fear of asking them anything because you think they're going to laugh at you, then, you know, it's not going to work out for, for both of you. Um, so, you know, kind of putting, you know, putting your ego aside, they're going to put their ego aside and it's all going to work out for the best. I would say that's, that's a big one. Um, and then really, you know, just kind of do your homework before you ask the questions, right? So it shows that you're putting the effort into maybe learning a new topic or, you know, digest some information. I know there was plenty of times where I was given a task by someone. I kind of thought I knew what I was doing. I'd fumble through it for a while and I'd call and ask a couple different questions to revise it. I just keep working your way through it. And, you know, I think if you kind of keep that approach, you know, it's going to help you and your mentor much, much better in the long run. Cool. Very good tips. Um, what, what other things do you guys have uh, as far as things to talk about on the topic of mentorship or tips to give anybody? I mean, I'd say just just find somebody you can help grow. Right. I mean, I think that's part of this whole community of like 
things that rapidly change. And, you know, if for no other reason, I think this technology moves so quickly that if we don't take time to catch newer people up, they just won't have the vocabulary or the context for some of the, the jargon and the things that are said that they may not have been around for. Right. I know that's especially like in the collaboration space when we deal with a lot of older telephony stuff that was the biggest challenge for me and like one of the most valuable things i got from one of my my mentors early on was like understanding old stuff like isdn and you know just general like telephone technology with electrical signaling and you know and tdm that like people were sort of past using it for the most part but when you'd go in to put in a phone system or do something that was replacing old technology that had been there for 10 or 20 years people started talking in these terms that you just didn't understand as sort of the newbie on the job. And you need somebody to kind of give you that historical view of, you know, this is really what they, what they mean. And, you know, this is what it translates into in modern terms, or this is how we're going to replace it. This is how you work with it. And uh, that was a big thing for me. So, you know, make sure you take the time to really just give somebody that sort of tribal knowledge that you may not even realize you have, that they probably otherwise wouldn't have an opportunity to learn. Yeah, that's a good point. I remember, you know, um, you know, years ago when I was kind of being mentored by this this guy I've, I've known for forever. I still talk to him this day. Um, you know, this is probably a couple of years after I left that job. I still stay in touch with them, and then I get this phone call from him one day, and he was asking me on how stuff worked. You know, or like something around wireless. I think at the time, so I thought it was kind of funny that you know eventually you know everything kind of shifts around, right? Like you said, so. Having having knowledge in one thing and being a mentor, you know, in, in one area, but you can still be a protege in another area, right? So there's definitely always, you know, that kind of relationship, whether you realize it or not. For sure. Very cool, guys. Thank you for the tips. Let's uh, let's go around the table and uh, and tell people where to find us and what we're doing for the week. So, Derek, what uh, what do you have going on the rest of this week? And um, and where can people find you online? Sure. So for this week, um, kind of just getting ready for Cisco Live, which is next week. Um, yeah. So for now, it'll be on uh, on Twitter for a little bit. Um, probably won't be too active blogging or whatnot, but um, I think we'll have some good stuff after next week for sure. Yeah, for sure. Mike, how about you? Well, actually, I'm spending the rest of this week camping with my son and his Boy Scout pack. Uh, in lovely Warner Springs, California, where it's going to be like in the mid to lower 90s. I'm really looking forward to that. Uh, and then I'll be at Cisco Live the following week as well. So looking forward to you know seeing lots of people that I uh, haven't seen in a long time and garnering lots of new information that uh, you know is out there about new products and definitely DevNet. And uh, you can probably see, we'll see a ridiculous amount of tweets from me um at aussie on twitter uh during cisco live and and probably some you know excitement leading up to that depending on when i get cell phone service back coming uh coming out of the mountains <laughs> yeah you can uh, i'll be at cisco live right along with you guys after i can get some of these reports done this week and um uh you can find me on twitter at packetsar and uh and all three of us will be at cisco live we'll probably be doing some recordings there so that'll be a lot of fun I uh, hope to see some of our listeners out there or get some new listeners while we're there too. Thanks, everyone. So I always think like when, when I saw this outline, I have to say I like thought of a Seinfeld episode, which I don't know if you guys are Seinfeld fans, but it's a hilarious episode where George sort of feels accomplished because he's gotten himself a protege and he's a mentor. 
And I always want to formalize that relationship so that I can refer to my protégés in conversation. Like, yes, I was speaking with one of my protégés the other day. (laughs) That'd be awesome. (laughs) So I think if for no other reason people should go become mentors just for the the value of, you know, making yourself sound more important when you talk to others. (laughs) 